just crying a little thinking about the Lord's love. You know, we're singing holy, 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 and I think that oftentimes that word holy makes us think about sin and sinless, but holy means pure, pure and um, other. And, and I just think about the purity of God's love for each of us. So pure and holy, his love, his compassion. And so I just pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal your love to us, your heart, and that you'd help us to see you, just like we were singing, that as we open your word, Lord, help us to see you, who you are, and how you represent the heart of God the Father. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're carrying on in the book of Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 10 this morning, and um, the theme of this series is life in the kingdom of God. And so who's got a page number? You got one there? Oh, well, you know what? Well, we'll just, we'll just read it from this Bible then this morning. No worries. Um, so... If you're visiting, you're coming into the middle of the series. We just saw um, the Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost by the risen and the exalted and the reigning Lord of the world, King Jesus. Poured out his spirit on the church to fill and equip and empower them to witness to the world that he's king and he's Lord and to call people to repentance and to faith and to call them back into relationship with God the Father and to restore them. And we heard last week that the Spirit um, filled the community with worship, with prayer, with care for each other, and with teaching or equipping um, so that they could go out as representatives of Jesus. And this is what happens next. Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The word of God. Before Jesus ascended and poured out his spirit, he commissioned or sent out his disciples and he said to them, gave them these instructions, preach 
the gospel or preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And he said, these signs will accompany those who believe in me. They'll lay their hands on sick people and they'll get well. Jesus said that a sign of the kingdom of God advancing on earth is that people would lay their hands on sick people and they'd get well. It's always been one of the signs of the kingdom of God. And when you study church history, there, are, there, is, there is healing ministry of Jesus all through church history. But the Lord's doing something in our generation that is different. And what he's doing is he's restoring the normalcy of the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. And I just want to say a little bit about that before I jump into preaching. You know, all of Jesus' ministry is healing. When you look at where we came from in creation and what was lost, and when you look at where the Bible says we're going to that day when Jesus comes back and he judges evil and rids the world of it and wipes away our tears and there's no more mourning or crying or pain or death, and you can say that from now till then he's bringing his kingdom you can say all of Jesus' ministry is healing. He brings us back to the Father and his love, heals us spiritually. He delivers us from evil as he teaches us to pray. So deliverance out of the kingdom of darkness and into God's kingdom and deliverance from evil spirits that are real. He heals us by filling us with his Holy Spirit. That's healing. And along the way, he heals bodies, not just souls and spirits, but he heals bodies. In fact, we're all going to get a healed and whole new body at the resurrection, okay? So the healing ministry of Jesus maybe hasn't been as talked about in generations past, and maybe we're just sort of shifting the language back to some of the language in Scripture, but this is normal, and what the Lord's doing is he's helping his bride or his body, the church, to understand that all of his ministry includes healing and that a sign of the kingdom of God is that those who believe on him lay their hands on the sick and there's healing. Now, when I say that, there arises a good deal of questions in our minds and some anxiety and some fear. And I'm going to address those a little later in the sermon. But from this text, we're going to hear some principles, one main principle about what it means to cooperate with the Lord to work to bring his healing. And I want to do that this way. I want to retell the text from the lips of the man who was healed. So I'm going to creatively reimagine his life and his testimony. And we're going to call him Derek. And uh, in a little, it's not, not, nothing to do with Derek Sterenberg. I told him before the service. Okay. Um, but I'm just going to turn around, and when I turn back, I'm going to be Derek, and that's not going to be my whole sermon. I'm going to give you his testimony, and then I'm going to stop, and then I'm going to teach for a little bit. But there's a reason why I'm doing it this way. I'll tell you that in a minute. Hi, my name's uh, Derek Chaim, and um, I don't know if any of you have ever um, just experienced, like, ridicule or rejection or like being made to feel like you're you're useless or you're worthless or like um, been teased really badly but if you've ever experienced any of that you've tasted a little bit of what my life was like before that day you know I was I was born with no feeling in my legs 
Not that I can remember what I was feeling when I was born, actually. My earliest memories are from when I was maybe, I don't know, four or five or six. I, I just remember being stuck inside the darkness of our home while my brother and sister went out to play. And day after day, they would go out, and I would hear them outside the house. I'd, I could imagine, I could see the sun coming in a little bit, and I could just imagine what it would be like outside to be playing with a brother and sister. And I just used to beg Mom, Mom, please, please just put me outside. Just let me sit out there and watch them. But i got to tell you that after she let me go out there a few times, I stopped begging and I stopped asking, and she stopped putting me out there because... It actually hurt less to sit inside in the darkness than it did to be made fun of by other kids. You know, sometimes the kids would take sticks and they would poke at my legs like I was an animal or something. You know, they just would poke at me. But the poking wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the names that they'd call me. Like, like, I, like I was not even a human to them. Like they just would label me cripple, you know. I just used to just, I remember just lying in the dark and just agonizing like, God, why did you make me? Why did you make me like this? Why did you even let me be born if this is what my life is going to be like? God, I don't really know God back then. And frankly, I, I don't really care for him because I thought if he made me like this, he couldn't be that kind or loving. But like I said, I, I didn't know him then. I just, I looked at God like I looked at everything else through the lens of my pain. You know, my pain, it defined me. I was the cripple. That's what they called me. They didn't even use my name. They didn't say Derek. They said the cripple. The cripple. The guy who can't do anything for himself. The guy who's got to ask to go anywhere, who's got to be carried anywhere who when he has to go to the bathroom has to ask somebody to pick him up and take him to the bathroom unless he wants to pull with his arms and drag his legs along. I mean, it's humiliating. And so I did, for as long as I remember, I did the only thing that anybody ever told me I was any good at. I got dropped off at the temple to beg because I could beg. I was the beggar and the cripple. More humiliation. One person comes by me and makes me feel like I'm a nuisance in their way. Next person doesn't even want to make eye contact with me. It's like they're ashamed of, of me, of my not being perfect. I don't know. They're just ashamed. And the next person makes a big show about giving me something like I'm the object of their generosity and do you know how rarely somebody actually like, looked me in the eye and treated me like a human being? Maybe, maybe once a month, some older woman would come along and like, with a tenderness would put a hand on my shoulder and drop something into my hands. And, and that, was like, that was like water to a thirsty man in the desert, just to be treated like a human being. And so you can't blame me for being surprised when I looked into Peter's eyes that day. First of all, I didn't even look into his eyes. I mean, I, I, I had my eyes down when I, when I asked him. I just said what I said to everybody, alms for the poor. And then there was this long 
silence. It was kind of odd because I knew they didn't keep walking by like lots of people did and that they were just standing there, but there was this silence. And then then he said it. Look at us. Oh, good sign. I thought they're going to give me something. But when I looked up, I knew immediately that I was wrong. Because when I looked into those eyes, I saw love. I saw fullness of love and compassion in those eyes like I'd never seen before. I looked into those eyes and I just knew somehow, some way, that there was a reservoir of love that was like something I'd never tasted before. And there was something else in his eyes. I don't know how to describe it except to say it was like some sense of anticipation or expectation of something. And then he said it. I don't have any money to give you, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. You know those moments where like 30 things go through your head in about half a second? You know those? I'm thinking, uh, he just said walk. I can't walk. I've never walked. He knows that. He's seen me. He's walked by me before. He knows I can't walk. He, he said walk. He thinks I can walk. He, think, he thinks I can walk. And then before I know it, his hand is reaching out to mine. And all of a sudden, I don't know how to describe this to you. There's no words for this except to say that it sort of feels like that love that was in his eyes. It's like it came to me through his hand. And it's like his hand, when it touched mine, all of a sudden he's pulling me up. And there's this love that's coming into me. And like from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Like warm, hot, liquid love. And the next thing I know, I'm standing. And and I'm not just like standing all wobbly like a toddler that just learned to walk. I mean, I'm standing. I've never stood before. I'm standing up. It's it's inc- I'm standing. <laughs> and so I I'm, I'm I'm jumping. I mean, I, like 40 years of watch I'm jumping. I can I can oh my goodness and I'm praising God and I'm thinking and I'm I'm crying and I'm and I'm grabbing Peter's robe and I'm following him into the temple because I want to know who is Jesus Christ of Nazareth and what just happened. What just happened is that the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ came through Peter and John to heal a man. And it's really, really important to feel and to get hold of the love and the compassion that Jesus has for every single human being when we begin to talk about healing and praying for healing. And there's a couple of reasons for that, and I want to talk about one of those reasons by asking for three or four volunteers to come up here with me, if you dare. And we're just going <laughs> to, I won't, <laughs> I just need three or four volunteers. We're going we're gonna to picture something. If you're willing to volunteer, uh, it's not going to be scary, I just, but I do need some people to come up here. I need, just put a hand up. Okay, Tammy, Chess, what's your name? Alyssa? Alexa, come on up. And Peter, come on up. Okay. So, 
let's see how we're going to do this. Alexa and Chess, you're going to stand over here, right over here, okay? And Tammy, you're going to come on over here. And Peter, you're going to come right here. So, <clears throat> John 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. We're going to pretend that you represent God the Father and that you represent God the Son and that you two together represent the world. So picturing this, God the Father so loved. Stop there. You've got to feel the heart and the compassion and the love of God the Father. Okay, so real quick, the book of Hosea, the Old Testament prophet, Hosea's going on about just how wicked and rebellious God's people have been. And actually God is speaking this and he's saying, he's saying judgment is coming. It's coming. There's going to be swords flashing in your gate, in the gates of your cities, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. And all of a sudden, there's this big silent pause in the text, and and God says, "It ain't going to happen. All my compassion is aroused within me. It's not going to happen. Instead, I'm going to." And He talks about the way He's going to send Jesus and bring bring them back and heal them. So this heart of God the Father that longs not to bring judgment, but that loves, that's your heart. That's the heart of the Father, okay? And so what is that heart going to do? It is going to send. So you are imparting, you share a heart, the Father and the Son are one, and you are sending. So the love send. So you send him. You just tell him to go. Go. Okay, so wait, wait, wait. Now he's going. He's an authorized representative of the Father. Love and compassion. Can we picture this? Feels like this. Love and compassion. For what? For the world. Love and compassion sends and creates movement from the Father toward the world. And so, no, 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 no. You're the world, and you are loved, and you are loved. You are loved. So let's just hold right here and name something, okay? You're, you're embracing. Actually, this is really fitting, because Christ comes on, on a cross, right, to die for our sin. And so these open arms represent the cross, and the love and the open arms that God has for us. So just want us to notice this. That the love and the compassion the Father has creates movement toward the objects of his love. And it's that love and compassion that sends as an authorized representative of the Father. Now, Jesus is finished his ministry in John 20, 21. He says to his disciples, as the father sent me, I am sending you. The most important word in that sentence is as. 
As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. As means like. It means in the same way as. It means from the same heart and from the same motivations. As the Father, out of his overwhelming love and compassion and desire to pour out his love and draw in and bring healing and restore, sends the Son. So I'm sending you. So all of a sudden now, this is Jesus. This is our Jesus representative. And this is the disciples right here. Right here. Being sent to the world. And so we're just going to wrap you in the, uh, in the love of the Lord. Here we go. There you go. You get wrapped up. All right. All right. We don't want to make you feel too uncomfortable. Thank you. Take your seats. You did wonderful. <clears throat> yeah. This is the main, the main thing, the main principle about joining God in his work of healing. That God's love and his compassion for people always move us toward people as the objects of God's love with expectation that he would meet them, that he would meet them to minister that love, that he would touch them with this love, and that he would bring healing. Why is that so important? Because as soon as I say the word healing um, comes into our, many of our minds a, a tangled web of questions and fear and uncertainties, and it works kind of like Kind of like this. I'll, give you, I'll just start with myself and, I'll, and my questions. God doesn't heal everybody. Jesus didn't heal everybody when he was on earth, and God doesn't he phys- he give physical healing to everyone. And so, um, where's David Vincent? Where are you? David, I prayed for David's brother. He was dying of cancer, and I prayed for him with, with all the faith in the world. And Jesus says you only need faith the size of a mustard seed. And I, had, I, had faith at, I had faith at least as big as a mustard seed. And, and his brother died of cancer. And yet we prayed for Betty Shull, who was, had a heart that was bleeding and was on her way to death, and the Lord miraculously healed her. Okay? Miraculously healed her. And um, Alyssa, Lori's daughter-in-law, we just finished grieving her death. And she was a believer, and they... Um, prayed to the Lord, and many believers prayed for her, and the Lord took her home. And Lori said to me this morning, she got healed. She got a, a full, complete healing, <laughs> right? That's one way to talk about it, but there's still the grief and the loss and the missing and the questions, okay? And I could go on and on back and forth. For the first 34 years of my life, I prayed for no one to be healed with faith, and the Lord healed nobody through my hands and my prayers, For the next seven years of my life, I've prayed for many people to be healed, and the Lord has healed dozens of them. He does the healing but through my hands and my prayers, but he doesn't heal everyone. And so if he doesn't heal everyone, well, then uh, all of a sudden, do do I pray for? How do I know how boldly to pray? And then I enter into this, well, what if I don't want them to feel bad? I don't want to set up their expectations like, what if I pray really boldly, like Peter prayed, where he, like, what if nothing happens? And then I get into, there's, there's this cycle of, like, fear can take root in my heart and anxiety. And before you know it, I can talk myself out of even praying. It's reasoning in my mind. And because I, I, 
most of us human beings tend to feel uncomfortable when we're not in control or we don't know how things are going to go or work, then if we can't predict how this is going to go, we're less likely to actually step into it and do it, which would be faith. So when you get fear and anxiety and reasoning and a desire for control all working together, guess what? Those are real things that have real influences upon us. You could say that they're forces that exert a real influence upon us. And so here's the core question. What is what am I going to cooperate with? What am I going to allow to shape me and um, shape whether and how I pray? Is it, and I'm not saying it's, um, it's, a, it's a bad thing to ask questions about what the scripture says about healing. It's really good to wrestle with that. But when it comes down to it, am I going to allow some combination of all of these things that I've just named to be the shaping influence that therefore prevents me from acting as an authorized representative of Jesus Christ? Or am I going to allow the love and the compassion of Jesus to move me toward people and to pray for them? Am I going to allow the love and the compassion of Jesus to move me toward praying for people. Let me tell you let me tell you about a time where I faced this choice. Some time ago I was gassing up at the BP station on Walker and I had just finished filling my truck and I was it was uh, frigid and I was sitting in the cab of the truck uh, putting stuff away and out of a car 30 yards away gets this woman. And she maybe has 40 feet to walk from her car to the gas station. And I think it took three minutes. She was walking so incredibly slowly with a painful limp. Painful, painful limp. And I watched her for a bit. And as I watched her, I felt this deep, like, love and compassion well up from within me for her. And knowing that that was Jesus' love and compassion for this woman and sensing it, I got out of the car and walked over to her, and I did not do that. I started to reason in my mind, she doesn't know me. This is crazy. She's, how is she going to respond? What am I going to say? Can I approach a woman I don't know? And the next thing I knew, I was driving down Leonard Street trying to push away the feelings of, oh, I blew it. Now, at that time, I didn't feel too horrible. But when I read this text and I creatively reimagined to myself the life of Derek and what it means for somebody when Jesus heals them, like what? kind of change that brings, all of a sudden the Lord brought back to my mind and my heart this woman that I neglected to pray for when I felt his compassion rising within me. And then I faced regret. Because then I thought about this woman and I thought about her story and I thought about her pain and I thought, Lord, was that you? And did you want to move through me to bring physical healing? 
when Peter and John walked up to the gate that day, they had a choice. They had an invitation, and they had a choice. And they could have walked by. They could have said, I'm sorry, I don't have anything. They could have prayed a religious prayer. God bless you, brother. God bless you. The Lord bless you. And kept walking. They could have done many things besides stopping. But something happened there. And I believe, again, because Jesus didn't heal everybody and the apostles didn't, don't heal everyone and we don't, I believe that it was the love and the compassion of Jesus that they sensed for this man. I believe that something happened in Peter's heart. It was like a Kairos moment. It was like the Holy Spirit stirred. You know, we learned to pay attention to this. The Holy Spirit stirred, and they chose to cooperate. They chose to step into that unknown. How does Peter know? Now, I want to submit to you that Peter's confidence level on that day was probably pretty high. Why? Well, the Holy Spirit was just poured out and 3,000 people got added to the church. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty incredible. And besides that, he'd spent three years with Jesus learning. But I want to also submit to you that he didn't start at the beginning of Jesus' ministry by realizing what it meant to be an authorized representative of Jesus. He didn't start with a lot of confidence and faith He didn't start understanding that God actually entrusts us with authority to exercise on his behalf. And I want to tell you a personal story about my own journey of learning about that authority and to work in faith with the Lord. Alita and I, where are you Alita? We were talking before the service about something that happened, I would say about six years ago. We were in um, our office and we were meeting with a woman And this woman was um, deep in sin and began to get very arrogant and belligerent. And then a demonic spirit began manifested and began speaking through her. And she literally rose up and was towering over us, spewing venom at us. It was in, in terms of her words. And just this little, little lady just over top of us accusing, lying, horrible. And uh, for the first time ever in my life, I said, in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ, I, I bind every demonic spirit that's at work upon you, and I command you to sit down and be quiet. And this woman who's towering over us, yelling at us, goes, shrinks back, sits on the chair, and is mute tries to speak, and nothing comes out. Here's what I want to say about that. The authority that Jesus has and that he entrusts to us as his witnesses, his authorized representatives, is unchanging. It's always the same. It was the same before that time. I just wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware of our call and ability to exercise it. And I hadn't had any practice in it. So since that time, it's been a journey of learning on my part 
what it is to act as Jesus' representative, advancing Jesus' kingdom in Jesus' authority. And it's been a journey of learning, just by trial and error, how to speak and to act with faith. And here's that key word, faith. Because when you get back to this moment of praying for someone to be healed, and you, get, and you start to bump up against that question of, well, if I say this, and you encounter those fears and your anxieties, I want you to ask yourself, are you really concerned about how the person feels, or am I more concerned about looking foolish? Because God can handle the results. God can handle his own glory. And if I speak and act in a way that's consistent with Jesus' character, that's faithfulness. So my part is to exercise love, compassion, and the authority of Jesus to act on a person's behalf. Okay? What the Lord wants to do through this sermon is he wants to equip, to empower us, to enable us all to see ourselves as no different than Peter. We can hold him up and go, he's Peter, he's the leader of the early church. But what did James say about Elijah? He said, hey, Elijah uh, prayed seven times that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. And he prayed that it would rain, and it rained. And he said, he's just like us. He's just like us. He's a man just like us. He just had faith. So after this incident with this woman at BP, I said, Lord, I want to err on the side of faith. Let my lack of faith never get in the way of you using me and working through me to touch somebody and to bring healing doesn't mean I expect God's going to heal everybody. It means there's a willingness on my part to act in ways that require faith. In other words, if God doesn't come through, it isn't faith. If God doesn't come through, I haven't stepped out. Okay? So Peter and John on that day are stepping out in faith that God's going to act, and they are saying, let me just, very simply, what I have I give to you. What I have, I give to you. And so what do you have this morning? What do you have? And what are you giving? What I have, I give to you. I have Jesus. I have Jesus' love, and I have Jesus' compassion, and when Jesus' love and Jesus' compassion are at work in us and they're flowing through us, they are always going to move us toward people. So I want to call us back to this choice that we face, and we face it everywhere. You know, it's at Rosa Parks. We were with, skating with the kids and somebody. A guy comes up and asks for money. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody I don't know in a public place. That's kind of like Peter and Temple, right? Anne was taking the kids to the Children's Museum, and... Um, 
They're walking down the street. She's got four kids. She says, she's got this one guy on one side of the street walking down the street, muttering to himself, cursing himself, just like, just, just hating on himself under his breath. I mean, he's clearly oppressed by Satan. What does somebody have something that they can give him? Does somebody have Jesus that they can give him? It requires faith and boldness. Someone's got to see and hear and walk up and say, listen, there is, there is a savior. There is deliverance in Jesus from darkness that you're experiencing. She said on the other side of the street, there was a man going off in rage against everybody that would come up and try to talk to him, just blowing at one. And she said it was, it was exact kind of a mirror of what was going on one side of the street. Another guy, totally oppressed. Who's got something that they can give to him? Jesus is saying, you have, I have all authority and you have that authority in me and I empower you, I authorize you in my love and my compassion to move towards people. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, I just can't see myself doing that. That doesn't jive with what I've grown up with or experienced in Christianity so far or that just feels really uncomfortable. I have a twofold response for you. Yes, it is. And Jesus promises empowerment. That's what the empowering of his spirit is for. And secondly, um, the same thing I've already said, that his love and compassion always moves us outward. Just picture, picture this, okay? So, so if we are not moving toward people, then we're... We're moving, if we're moving away or if we're secluding or if, we're, if fear or anxiety is sort of paralyzing us from doing anything in our work environment or wherever it is that people need light, they need truth, they need healing, whatever it is, um, we're being shaped or moved by something other than Jesus' spirit. There are other spirits at work. Fear. Control that would control our voice. Shut it down. Um, what Jesus is calling for is that we would live and move out of his spirit. If you want to use the picture, um, he said to us, anyone who comes to me, out of their, their inner being will flow rivers of living water. And so for me, when I think about that river of living water, it's that love and that compassion. There's a river of love from the Lord that always just moves us toward people. And I don't have, I don't have to have, um, I don't have to know what's going to happen when I move towards someone. I just have to, I have to connect with that love and that compassion for that person. I'm useless if I can't connect with it. I've got to connect. It's God's love, and I've got to connect with that. That river that's flowing through me is God's love for someone, and I've just got to connect with that river of his love and move toward them, and then just trust that he'll give me something to pray, to bless, to strengthen, to encourage, to bring truth, to heal. To heal. So again, what do we have, and what are we giving? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have you. And that your word says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Lord, thank you that in Christ there is no shortage, there is no lack that we have everything we need. And so, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us as individuals and as a body in the assurance of all that we have in you so that what we have 
we give. And Lord, we just want to say to you right now, uh, would you just hear from our hearts all across this place that we don't want fear, we don't want any influence other than your spirit um, to be at work upon and through us. Lord, we're sorry for ways where we've caved. I've caved, we've caved, and we thank you that you don't cover us with shame. You don't, you don't lay a heavy burden on us. You empower us. And so, Lord, empower us. Your kingdom is supernatural. And you're a God who works and moves and heals. And you've been doing that in our midst. And we, we, we want to see you do it all the more. We want to see the wonder and the awe and the curiosity about Jesus that happened at that temple today, that temple that day, happen in our midst, um, even today. And so come, Holy Spirit, and fill us afresh for bringing Jesus' love and compassion to the world. In the name of Jesus.